You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for some scolding hot takes? Talking Vikings with Dane Mizutani and Chase Frederick. This is Inside Purple and Gold. Hey, welcome to Inside Purple and Gold. Jace Frederick, Dane Mizutani here on Tuesday, October 11th. Just a couple days after the Vikings pull out another dramatic win um, over Chicago. Dane, I know you and Tom Schreier broke that down at length on Sunday. I'd recommend everybody go back and listen to that episode anywhere where you found this podcast. Um, but I've been thinking a little bit about this uh, this trend of winning close games, and it really is all Minnesota has won, Sands Week 1, in a more convincing fashion against Green Bay. But this team is finding ways to win games. It's making plays late in games. Um, it's Teams almost have to learn how to win sometimes, it seems like. And I, I know maybe, like, we've talked about this a ton. Like, maybe it hasn't always been impressive um, what Minnesota's done through the first three and a half quarters of games. But I think there is something to closing games out and playing a good final five minutes and doing what you need to do because so many football games are won and lost in the final five. And, and Minnesota's kind of found a way to do that. Where do you sit on this? The idea of Minnesota kind of, I don't know, being closers of games. Yeah. It's kind of a catch 22 because they've only had to be closers of games because frankly, they've let teams back in it or they haven't put together a good enough game to kind of throttle a bad team. I'm looking at that Lions game. <clears throat> but I think everyone in the locker room who we talked to after on Sunday basically said the same kind of thing. And I think they said the same kind of thing because it probably comes from Kevin O'Connell at the top. You'd rather learn while winning than learn while losing. And right now the Vikings are able to learn week to week and they're winning football games. So inherently that's a good thing. The only thing that kind of worries me is that is this fool's gold, right? Like, yes, they're learning how to win. Yes, it's only going to be week six coming up. Like, teams are going to look much different come November, December. But are they banking on the fact that, oh, we're winning these close games, we're learning how to win, we're developing a culture, all against bad teams? And maybe that won't matter because the schedule is terrible. Me and Tom did the breakdown on Sunday, and while we don't think they're actually going to win 13 games, they should win 13 games looking at the schedule. Like sure. You have to account for clunkers here and there, but there are games that the Vikings are probably going to be favored in, um, You know, I would say, at least 8, 9, 10 games over the rest of the season. So maybe that won't come into effect, but I just kind of go back to the fact that, like, even if you are winning these close games, even if you're proving that you know how to win and you know how to kind of rise to the occasion when the challenge gets tough, it, it, it might all be lost when you just play a good team because it, it you might not be in that position. So I, I just kind of keep going back and forth between those two kind of schools of thought. Yeah, it always depends to me on the lens you're looking at, right? Like, what are you looking through? Are you looking through like, hey, this team's winning games. They're comfortably a playoff team. Um, they have a chance to win the North. Like, this is all true. Um, so, like, if that was the if that was the standard of success, and it probably was, frankly, coming into the season, then, like, this is going great. Uh, it, it just, 
it comes down to then like, are you one of those folks? And I don't blame people who are like this. Are we going to win the Super Bowl this way? Is that like kind of, and I know like some people will say, well, having such a singular track mind is that's a terrible way to enjoy sports. And I don't necessarily disagree, but I find myself often thinking in this through this lens as well. Like, is this going to be applicable to like playoff success, beating the best teams in January? Um, and winning the Super Bowl, which this franchise has still never done and, and is the ultimate goal at the end of the day. I don't know that. I don't think so, frankly, the brand of football they're playing. But I do think there has to be something to the idea of building this mentality where you always believe you're going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe Minnesota is developing that where it's just like when you do this again and again with the repetition, uh, like, hey, you come back or you put the game away or whatever the case may be in the final five minutes. You just think that's going to happen every time. Um, and you probably think you're not out of any game either. So I think there's something to that because they might get themselves in sticky situations against good teams in the future and at least have the confidence that they're going to pull themselves out, which is a heck of a lot better than being, say, the team that played last night, the Raiders, where you look at their season like talented team. I think at this point, just assumes it's always going to find a way to lose um, because that's what it feels like when you watch them and that's what they're doing. And we've seen Vikings teams like that in the past, too, where it's like this team is going to find a way to lose. And right now, it it may be like through like the Vikings fandom piece. People might have a hard time thinking that. But I bet this team is thinking like we're going to find a way to win. That's just what we do. So I think that mentality shift is huge. And, and I don't know if you can necessarily quantify it. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point you're making. Like. How long in, you know, the course over the course of history has it always felt like, oh, the Vikings are going to find a way to lose this game? Fans have felt like that, I don't know, past decade, two decades, forever, maybe. And it's because they've been given reasons to feel that way. So I would argue that there are probably some Vikings teams that the fans feel like, oh, we're going to find a way to lose. The Vikings teams, while they will never admit it, probably felt like, God, this is probably going to go wrong at some point. So to your point, like the Vikings as a franchise, as an entity need to win their fans back into that trust back of like convincing them like, no, we're going to be, we're going to be all right. We're going to find a way to win this game. But this singular Vikings team sure does look like, well, when we're down in the fourth quarter, we feel like we can come back. Um, Even if, you know, we're trailing at this moment in time, the game's not over. I I think you're right. Like, I think that feeling exists within this locker room. I think it probably all goes back to the head coach, right? Like the calm he exudes. Um, just we talk, we joked about smiles per game in the off season. Like all of that kind of matters. Like I think if you're tense in those moments, like you're going to screw up. I think we saw that a lot, you know, in the past with under Mike Zimmer, they won a lot of close games too. I don't want to take that away, but like it did seem like when things started to go sideways, in the Mike Zimmer era is because everyone was so tense and, and mistakes were bound to happen. Cause that's just kind of what happens when you play like you're walking on eggshells that doesn't exist in the, in the Kevin O'Connell era. At least it hasn't so far. And he talked a little bit about this yesterday, but like the confidence that they do feel when they get on, like when Kirk cousins was getting the ball back, when the offense was getting the ball back with nine minutes left, he said they felt confident they were going to score. Kevin O'Connell said this, but once they they got past midfield, it wasn't about just scoring. It wasn't just about, you know, a field goal to give them the lead in that game. It was about making sure we finished this off with a touchdown. And that sounds so, like, trivial and, like, well, duh. But, like, a lot of coaches in the, in the NFL would, would get within field goal range and 
all right, let's play a conservative here. Like, I don't know if I trust my quarterback to not screw up. And that's a fair thing to worry about, especially when you have Kirk Cousins. Uh, Kevin O'Connell kept calling the game pretty aggressively. Um, Kirk Cousins made a couple of really good big plays um, down the stretch on that 17 play drive and they punched him for a touchdown. So all of these things they are getting training and doing on the fly. They're winning while doing it. Maybe it will translate to, to being able to beat some of these good teams down the road. Some of these really, really good teams down the road Um, that remains to be seen, but four and one at the end of the day. So they're, they're finding a way to do it. I I will say I saw that. I saw like that quote from O'Connell and I kind of questioned how true it was um, because I thought they were a little conservative inside the 50, inside the red zone, uh, watching the end of that game. Like there was literally a third and eight at the Chicago 13 and, and Cousins checks down to Madison who like a Bears guy stumbles so he can't make the tackle. But otherwise it's like a six, five or six yard game and you're kicking the field goal. Like I didn't think they were like ultra aggressive there. I think they just kind of, it worked out that they scored. Um, so good execution. But when I saw that, I kind of laughed because like it did seem like it was a Dalvin Cook run, a Dalvin Cook run. Okay, now it's second and long. Okay, let's do a short pass, set up a third and medium, you know, like, and that's how you can move the chains. But I wasn't like, yeah, you definitely put the pedal to the metal there, Kevin O'Connell. Uh, it, it just seemed like it was a, it was, they seemed like, hey, we want to score, but we're happy if we just get the field goal here too. That's how, so I didn't think his words lined up with his actions there. Um, but that doesn't take too much away from the point. It just kind of rubbed me a little bit the wrong way watching it. I was like, that's not what I watched, um, but I'm hearing what you're saying. I think when you look at that drive, though, like there were nine minutes on the clock. I think they were they were milking it dry, like basically. I think that was part of the goal. It wasn't shot plays down the field at all times, but I don't think it needed to be in that moment. But Kevin O'Connell is a wordsmith. He likes to spin things, and he, he says enough words with every answer that, like, He's going to touch every base, whether it's something we fully agree with, we disagree with. He'll probably talk his way back into a circle that we do agree with him in the end. Like, it's kind of what he does. Um, but I think, like, the fact that he's going out and, and giving credit to to the offense was probably his main goal with that, with, you know, his players with, with that answer. Maybe trying to convince us that, that that's what he was doing, but – I think going out and publicly giving the players credit is something he's kind of gone out of his way to do time and time again this season. He even did it like talking about he uses all this jargon, like situational masters and like how like they know what to do. And when things, when, when, when plays need to be made that, that win games, like they're able to do it. And it can be something as simple as going down inbound like Cam Danzler did getting the pick, not screwing around, not going to go try and house it, not, running the risk of fumbling the ball or getting stripped like like he did to Amir Smith-Marset in that final closing play of the game. But just going down, you won the game. Um, little things like that, they do matter, um, but Kevin O'Connell goes out of his way to kind of give credit to his players. It's all by design. Like, I don't think it's an act. I don't think he necessarily, like, is going up to the podium and has a checklist of people that he, I need to say this because I need to make them feel good. Um, I think he actually believes what he's saying, but it is by design, like, he's giving credit almost overly at this point. Um, and I think it's building some goodwill with, with, with his players. With uh, the situational masters thing, like that's what I'm going to start referring to this team as, because I think corny nicknames are awesome. Um, the Timberwolves a few years back, they started shooting more threes. Um, and it was like, Oh, this team that analytically had not played smart basketball was doing it now. And Carl Anthony towns goes, we're being pioneers of excellence and situational masters kind of, uh, 
reminds me a little bit of that. So I, I like it. I'm going to run with it. But I do think that starts with like, that starts with the head coach, right? Like I think head coaches don't get enough credit for what happens in the last five minutes in terms of play calls for sure, like approach, but then just like time management, timeouts, uh, all these types of things. Like you watch a lot of coaches do a lot of really dumb things that leave your head, you scratching your head on Sundays. I don't see that too often from Kevin O'Connell. Um, the only time out that I ever questioned this year, really, that I can think of was that one at the end of the first half in Philly. But like, I don't think that was swinging the game one way or another anyway. But like late in actual regulation, I think he does a really good job of using his timeouts, managing the clock, all those types of things. And and that kind of permeates down. Like if your coach is smart, your players have a better chance to be smart because he's probably passing some of that stuff along. He's probably focusing on the things that matter and, and practices and situational stuff mm-hmm. like I, I think that all starts up top. Um, I, I think we see the same teams again and again, year after year, struggle with those types of things. And I think it, it comes from their coaching staff and their regime and the head coach and and the messages that are being passed along and like the emphasis of what's important. I think Kevin O'Connell has done a really good job with that. Um, so situational masters, maybe he's the situational master um, and everybody else is kind of coming along for the ride. Yeah, it's... There's always a few terms that, that, that make me laugh. That's going to always be one. And he's probably going to keep leaning on it. He, he's kind of gone away from using like the, the term, Oh, illusion of complexity. I haven't heard him say that in like a few weeks, but that'll come back. Situational masters. He, he, he said it like two or three different times yesterday. Be on the lookout for that. We could probably make a drinking game out of it. He's going to start saying it all the time. Um, But they are, they are, like you said, Um, look at the Raiders last night. Not situational masters, and no. uh, that's it was that's putting it lightly. The final, I mean, I think of like the different routes that, and we can get more into the offense later, but like the different route combinations that Minnesota runs that end up with guys like wide open and whatnot, and three yards of separation, uh, consistently. And then I think of the Raiders' final play where they were, were for whatever reason, they literally have two wide receivers collide into one another to end the game, and it's like, oof, like it, Kevin O'Connell uh, certainly threw now. A one tenure in a season like Josh McDaniels looks not great. Um, and Kevin O'Connell certainly appears to have the leg up, at least on that offensive minded, quote unquote, new coach who had another failure, failed tenure. Um, but anyway, so let's just real quick, like the situational mastership um, and this being able to close out games like we've seen it a bunch against teams that aren't good. And we know that they're not good. But can this apply to when they play good teams? Like I'm more picturing it as you don't have to beat every good team on your schedule. Like you're going to lose to some of them. That's fine. Uh, are they going to be able to steal a game? You think maybe a, against a, a team that's better than them because they can do these types of things. Not if they keep playing like this. I don't, I really don't sure. think so. Like you can be as situationally masterful as you want in, in the fourth quarter. But if you're losing by two touchdowns, it's not going to matter. And I think like that is the risk you're going to start putting yourself in when you play a team like Buffalo in, in, in a month. Even a team like Dallas. like Their defense is so good right now. And I think that the Dallas Cowboys, when Dak comes back, he's going to take the job back. Like It's not Cooper Rush's job. That's a, dis- that's a separate dis- discussion completely. But like a team like Dallas, I think that could give you issues if, if you're the Vikings, if you continue to kind of play this like, good for a quarter and a half, two quarters, really bad for two and a half quarters kind of, kind of game plan that they've kind of put forth week after week after week, even in week one, like they were so good against green Bay for a half and then they scored no points. So like, 
I, I, I understand like how being comfortable in these moments and knowing exactly what to do and Kevin O'Connell developing this confidence within himself and within his team that they're going to pull it out and they're going to be perfect when it matters most. Like all of that's fine, but like it's about a body of work over the course of a game too. And I just think if the Vikings continue to play like this while they may be four and one, they're not these games against good teams are just are not going to be that close are not going to be the close where it matters how how good you are um in these these situations late in games so that's just kind of my i guess that's how i look at it watching these games like yeah you can feel great about the fact that they're four and one if you're just hoping to watch a a fun football season with some ups and downs where they're going to make the playoffs and then you take your shot there like I think this Vikings team will give you exactly what you want. But if you narrow your focus and your lens, which I think a lot of teams tend to do, especially when you're four and one, this team is not a Super Bowl contender, at least not yet. Um, a lot of things need to happen. A lot of things need to happen and change and grow, you know, for them to get there. Um, you look at the schedule, though, they could be seven and one heading into that Buffalo game. And then I guess we'll see what, what, this team's really made of. I don't think the next three weeks give any sort of indication of how good the Vikings are. Um, and I think we're going to be able to say that week in and week out, but I, I think that Buffalo game coming down the shoot in a month, uh, we will know after that game. Um, yeah, if they're seven and one, that game's going to get flexed to Sunday night, almost for sure. Um, which would be fun. Uh, a Vikings Bills primetime game, which, uh, and then when the Vikings lost that game, inevitably, then it would just go well, primetime game. Yep. <laughs> Nothing Minnesota can do in that spot. Uh, Sunday night Kirk. Yep, that's right. Uh, okay, let's break here and get back into the next segment, into a unit on this team that I think we can say has been pretty good for most of games, um, which we can't say about everybody, but I think is true for these five guys. Hey, welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. Jace Frederick, Dane Mizutani here on Odyssey's Minnesota Vikings podcast. Please follow, like, subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you're getting every episode um, on your phone the second it comes out. Dane, we talked about how this team's play has been, mm, meh, sometimes uh, inconsistent, frankly. Not good for three quarters at a time. But that's not true for this unit, and it's probably the least likely unit we would have said this for <laughs> heading into the season. And, and it's fair to say I think this might be the biggest reason why they're 4-1. The offensive line, uh, just like I, I know the stats, I'll bear this out too. PFF, Pro Football Focus, ranks this team well. ESPN, in terms of win rate uh, on the offensive line, like ranks this team well. I just, going off the eye test, like this Vikings offensive line has been really good. Uh, there are very few times where I think Kirk Cousins has no chance on a play um, because he's just getting bull rush. And I watch enough other games to see the bad offensive lines, mm -hmm. uh, to see the groups where it's like, like the Rams, it's like, oof, like there's no chance they can do anything. Um, Minnesota's not putting Kirk Cousins in those spots. The running game has been pretty consistent. Like this much maligned unit for years. Um, and frankly, we had so many questions coming into the year and they've answered the bell on most of them. Yeah, it's stunning. <laughs> I thought this team was, I thought this, this unit was going to be the Achilles heel of the Vikings. And, and it's arguably been their biggest strength outside of Justin Jefferson. This is not a knock on Kirk Cousins, but like he's still not that great at navigating a pocket. He has shown the ability to do so a little bit better over the last couple of years, especially this year. That third and five against the Bears on that final drive was huge. Um, kind of manipulating his way out of the pocket and running for that first down. Absolutely, but I'm I'm saying like a lot of times 
quarterbacks can make their offensive line look right. really, really good by like just sliding step here, slide stepping here, breaking contain. Kirk's not doing that that much because he, he's not having to do that very much because the offensive line has been so good. So th- that's that tangent is is not to take a shot at Kirk Cousins. It's to say no. sometimes quarterbacks can make their offensive line look good and better than they are. Right now, the Vikings offensive line is just good. Um, they're proving to be good. They're holding up in pass protection quite well. Um, I think I saw zero pressures from Darisaw, Bradbury, and Cleveland yesterday or on Sunday. Um, a lot of that might come from the fact that Akeem Hicks no longer plays for the Bears, but yeah, fair it, enough. it matters. Um, and I think when we just kind of look at this whole thing as a scope, like you watched week one and you were like, Kenny Clark blew up the game plan. Like this is only going to get worse. And it's progressively got better since then. Um, and like the fact of the matter is like the star of this offensive line, as good as Brian O'Neill is on the right side, it's been Christian Darisaw. He's been an absolute star on, on the left side of the, the, the offensive line. It, it's not just the fact that he's ranked third out of left tackles and, and according to pro football focus, the, the analytics say he's been one of the best left tackles in the league. It's the eye test that you talk about. Watch, go watch, go, just go Twitter search Christian Darisaw. If you're if you're listening to this at home, there's a clip of him just absolutely bulldozing Robert Quinn, who's a good pass rusher, a very very good pass rusher. That was a, that was a tough matchup, I think, heading into this week against the Chicago Bears. I think you were wondering how is this young left tackle going to stack up against one of the premier pass rushers in the league in Robert Quinn. He destroyed him. He ate him up. Um, didn't give up a pressure. And the, the play I'm talking about in particular, he gets him right out of the, the after the snap, gets him in his in his clutch, and just drives him five yards forward and and, and finishes on top of him. Um, you've seen Christian Darisaw do that a few times this year, and he continues to do that. Um, I, I really think they have something special with 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 him at, at left tackle. And, and you pair that with Brian O'Neill on, on the other side, on the bookend of that, he's been up and down at times this year. I, I don't think he's been as spectacular as he's been in the past. But if you have those two guys, like you're set. And, and then the other interior guys are filling in after that. Um, surprisingly so, I would say. Um, I think if you expected anyone to be good this year, it was going to be Brian O'Neill, And you just hope that Christian Darisaw was going to be good because he was a first rounder. That's proven to be the case. I think everything else has kind of been a pleasant surprise. Um, Sands and Ed Ingram, who's kind of struggled as a rookie. Yeah, I almost wonder if like Brian O'Neill looks worse by comparison now because it's like in the past, we're like, no, Brian O'Neill's playing really well. And now you compare him to Christian Derrissaw, it's like, oh, not as good as Derrissaw. Um, so sorry, Brian O'Neill. I think by association there, you you get yourself in trouble. Um, Christian Derrissaw, that was like the path we saw for this offensive line, right? Like heading into the year was like, well, if he becomes one of the best tackles in football, um, yep. maybe this unit can survive. And he's become one of the best tackles in football um, by a lot of accounts. Like you said, you know, like this was a, a matchup that should have been difficult and it was not. Uh, he dominated it. Uh, he's really good, I think. Uh, and that is a little bit like as, as we it's funny because we've seen so many of like the Rick Spielman picks, like the mid rounds, late rounds, they got traded off and it was like, well, bad draft, bad draft. And it largely was, but like, it looks like he maybe got that one, right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, moving back and still getting Darisaw. I still think if you like a tackle, you should just take him at 14 and not trade back and think maybe they'll be there at 21. Uh, but 
it worked out for Minnesota. Uh, and now you look at this unit. I would still say Darisaw is the only one where I like trust him uh, in like a, a big matchup because like, yeah, there are good defensive lines, but like you look at these defenses in general, like, okay, the lines are horrible. They just gave 29 points to Bailey Zapp. Uh, the Saints just gave up 32 to Seattle at home. Uh, and then this Bears, like, they've been solid, um, frankly, for a lot of the year. But it's not like they haven't faced, like, a fearsome unit. I don't know how they'll hold up against, like, some of the better defenses in the NFL. Uh, but, like, Darisaw, I trust against just about anybody. And Brian O'Neill, I trust to not, like, kill you. And the interior guys, like, that's still the, the biggest issue. But, like, I think when you have two good tackles, like, you can kind of scheme around it or you can plan around it, right? Like, you can say, like, hey, we're going to double this guy in the interior because they're only bringing four, and we're going to trust Ezra Cleveland maybe to hold up one-on-one in this spot because um, we know our tackles are good. And then I do give a lot of credit to Kevin O'Connell probably saying, like, okay, here's what we have. How can we scheme this to where, like, we're not putting our guys in bad spots all the time? Um, and I think it's just a combination of everything. But it starts at Darisaw because if you don't have guys you can leave one-on-one, it's impossible uh, to come up with anything where your game plan isn't destroyed by the defensive line. But he has been like a cheat code for them where it's like a shutdown corner. It's like, okay, we know this guy can guard this receiver and we can use all the rest of our secondary to cover the other guys. Like Christian Darisaw is that right now for this offensive line. And when O'Neal can hold his own too, like now you can play three on two on the interior and football gets a lot easier from there. So they do have like two pillars who could be pillars for a long time. And maybe we don't have to talk about this offense stinking uh for the next five years yeah it's it's frankly a breath of fresh air that that they have two tackles that are competent i think you're right about brian o'neill like all the all the stats and the metrics say he's been great through the course of his career but he's also been compared to like rashad hill and i you know i don't even know who else would play left tackle like under them like a bunch of names you don't want to remember a bunch of names i don't have to remember um but the fact that the Vikings now have a bona fide left tackle, a bona fide right tackle, and you can fill in, in in the gaps from there. I'll just run through the PFF ranks through, through week five. Yeah. Christian Dare saw a third out of 70 tackles. Insane. Brian O'Neill, 14th out of 70 tackles. Really, really good. Good. Here's, here's a surprising one. Ezra Cleveland, 10th out of 70 guards. That that's, and then he was really, really good against the bears. Um, like you said, I don't know if, if if I feel comfortable saying like Ezra Cleveland is a top notch guard yet, but maybe he's trending in that direction. Maybe he is. Um, I it, need to see more. It was right. like he was a great run blocker before. Um, so usually when you can do one, like you're you're if you can overpower somebody in one play, you can probably figure out the other one. I know like it's different with your feet and whatnot, but like there was something there with Ezra Cleveland. So I'm not surprised he took a jump. I didn't think it'd be this big. Yes, but I, I think we would both agree needs to be more sustained. Um, if he's tenth out of seventy in week twelve, like then I'm like, okay, Ezra Cleveland is a good is a good guard now. Ed Ingram, thirty third out of seventy guards. It's just average. It's average. It's not below average. It's not horrendous. Um, there have doesn't, been times where he he doesn't look great. He is a rookie though. Go ahead. And doesn't that tell you like? We've seen that editing room and it's like, oh, on some plays. And he's 33rd out of 70. Like, that's what I'm telling you. Like, watch the other teams play. Like, some of these offensive lines are hideous. That means there are 37 guards playing regularly worse than Ed Ingram. Um, so, some of these teams have no chance uh, mm-hmm. when you watch their offensive snaps. Like, so you, when you think Ed Ingram's bad, know that he is better than more than half of the guards. Like, that's where. 
that's how good this line has been. Um, and that's how bad a lot of lines are. For sure. And I have zero um, proof of, of what I'm about to say next. But like the Vikings guards in, in the past two or three years have been ranked way lower than than 33rd. I, that's, right. I can guarantee that. Yes, they have. Um, and, and the fact that he is – Ed Ingram has been far and away the person who's garnered the most criticism – on the, on the offensive line and the fact that he is still in the top half of of players at his position. Yes. Um, very good thing. And then Garrett Bradbury, who we all just slam throughout the, you know, the preseason training camp, uh, off season, how could the Vikings not replace this guy? All of it felt pretty merited. He he's kind of sucked throughout his NFL career to this point. 11th out of 37 centers. Very, very good. He deserves a ton of credit. Um, I don't know the intricacies of what is different in his game. I know Chris Cooper, the the new offensive line coach, is someone that Kevin O'Connell continues to praise. He clearly has these guys playing confident. Like you said, I think when you have a guy like Christian Derrissaw and a guy like Brian O'Neill that you can kind of leave one-on-one, it it allows you to kind of manipulate the line in certain ways. This could also just be Garrett Bradbury taking a step finally, taking the next step finally, improving um, for the first time really since his rookie year. It's almost ironic that like Rick Spielman finally built a good offensive line. Yeah. And he's not here for it. On the way out. <laughs> like, uh, and, and a lot of it is like guys just kind of <laughs> developing who he drafted in the past. And, and I don't, and we don't know, frankly, if, if the staff that was in place previously would have developed this group into this, maybe like this group is getting the most out of them, frankly, like, but, but clearly it shows that there was talent there um, that just had to come along and it has come along. And I think the coaching staff deserves a big credit for it. But like, Man, I did not have on my bingo card like the offensive line being the most stable, consistent, good thing about this team. Sands like, you know what? Frankly, they've been more consistent than Justin Jefferson, which is they amazing. Have. Like, so like they've been the most consistent thing on this team. Um, I would have said they would be the most consistently bad. And so, yeah, that was it's. We prognosticate, we predict, we discuss these things all off season, and yet it, you can't. It's football, like the NFL. You can't always. The, the unpredictable happens and this would be more like if you were looking at it from a national scope you'd say and you cared about the vikings which like you know espn and whatnot they don't probably uh but you would say like this offensive line being good is one of the bigger surprises in the nfl um and but yet again like they they figured it out and like i i don't see it being something that's going to fall off i think there are games where they might not look great but i think consistently week to week i think we can kind of expect this and that just kind of unlocks so many things from Minnesota and what they want to do. Yeah, and 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 it all I think it all goes back to O'Neill kind of, but Darisaw yep. mainly. And and we saw this we saw this last year with Rashawn Slater with the Los Angeles Chargers. Um he's out for the season. I think he tore his bicep. Sounds super painful. But there was there was a point in time where Rashawn Slater was just continuously grading out at the top of PFF's list. Um, he was someone who, and I, I keep mentioning Rashawn Slater because that was someone a lot of Vikings fans had had circled on their their draft charts. The the the, the year that the Vikings took Christian Darrisaw, at a certain point, it was like Rashawn Slater's one of the best left tackles in the league. I think we're going to see something similar with Christian Darrisaw. I think this is kind of the start of his like meteoric rise. I think pretty soon here. Like everyone in the market's talking about him now. He had that little moment last week with with Kirk Cousins wearing 
his chain and, you know, you could kind of see the human side of him and he, he had, you know, a scrum in front of his locker for the first time all year. Like he's getting this attention locally. It's going to start happening nationally. I think it's only a matter of time before Christian dare saw someone people are as much as national pundits talk about offensive line, which is, not yeah, it's not a lot. Like Trent but, Williams is one of the best players in football. And now he's hurt, obviously, but he, right. it's not, he wasn't getting discussed on a weekly basis. It right. just doesn't happen. You might get, you'll get talked more about within your own games broadcast. Basically. Sure. Um, but it will be something where they're like, Hey, this guy, Christian Darisaw, he he's one of the best left tackles in the league. And I think that'll just become an established point. Um, and that's huge for the Vikings. Um, can't overstate that enough. The offensive linemen, like the best ones, your recognition comes via the paycheck. Um, <laughs> far more than the national attention, the yep. running backs attention comes via like the pundits and the discussion. The offensive line comes in, via the dollar, um, which, frankly, I would probably prefer that. So, Christian Darisaw, when your time comes, uh, you will see your recognition in the form of, of the check that comes in um, in the contract that you sign. But, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is going to become one of those names. And it should be pretty quick because this was just a first-round pick a year ago. Um, yep. So, it should be somebody who was still on everybody's radar. And now it's like, oh, okay, yep, there he is. Um, and he was hurt at the start of last year. Like, didn't get off to a start. Like, maybe he could have reached this even sooner, but... I think we saw some glimpses last year that was like, oh, there's probably something there. And now, though, like this is elite. Um, so he's definitely anchoring a really good unit. And man, if you can anchor this unit, like you can anchor any unit. Uh, and I just think like this gives when you have Darison O'Neill, and I will wrap this segment up. It's gone too long anyway, but it makes it so much easier for the Vikings to like manage the salary cap with the interior. Be like, we don't have to spend a ton here. We just have to fit pieces around those two. Um, and that makes it really easy for team building purposes moving forward. All right, uh, we'll be right back after this on Inside Purple and Gold. All right, Dane Mizutani, Jace Frederick, back here. Inside Purple and Gold, Odyssey's Vikings podcast. Please follow, like, subscribe, rate, only if you're going to give five stars, um, to this podcast anywhere on your podcast platform uh, that you listen to. Make sure that all the episodes are coming on your phone as soon as they come out. Dana, let's talk a little bit about Kirk because it wouldn't be an episode of Inside Purple and Gold if we didn't. Um, what what have you seen just in terms of maybe like the freedom or the optionality he's been given um, with this group? Because the idea was like line of scrimmage, whatever the case may be, like he did not have that control under Zimmer. We don't really know if that's the case. Um, there's never been like a clear cut answer there, but what have you seen from what this staff, Kevin O'Connell and company have given Kirk in terms of choices. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, you and I were on this podcast kind of talking about, does Kirk even have latitude in this offense? Like, is it was it, after that the a, Eagles game? Yeah. yeah all that our a, blitzes that there was no adjustment for. Yeah. Was that a misnomer? Like all of that, I think still does apply. I'm not sure Kirk Cousins is, I, I know he's not elite. I'm not sure how good he is at diagnosing blitzes before the play and and changing this protection so that this so-and-so person isn't left one-on-one so that Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madison can help chip here or they can double-team there. Like I'm, I'm not sure how, how elite he is at changing these protections at the line. I'll say that before I get into this. But I, I do know like at least by what Kevin O'Connell's words have said, he mentioned it a little bit in in the past couple of weeks about the freedom Kirk has in this offense. And he really kind of honed into it on, on Sunday and, and, and Monday in, on, in his press conference post the bears win 
there was a play late in Sunday's game, super late. It was uh, at the end of that 17-play drive. The Vikings have third and goal at the one-yard line. And Kirk Cousins sneaks it, scores, touchdown, Vikings win. There was a lot of eye candy before that 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 snap. I think Kirk actually started in the gun, moved up under center. Adam Thielen motioned across the play. Adam Thielen finishes his motion. Kirk Cousins snaps the ball. QB sneak touchdown. After the game, Kevin O'Connell was asked, and Kirk Cousins was asked, hey, that looked a lot like how Justin Jefferson scored in London last week on the jet sweep. Does Kirk have, you know, carte blanche to kind of make a decision there? Does Could he have handed to Adam Thielen? Could he have changed the play on the fly? And Kirk kind of deferred to Kevin O'Connell, and Kevin O'Connell said yes. Kirk had options there. He chose to run a QB sneak, not to, to hand the jet sweep off to, to Adam Thielen. This is my touchdown, baby. Yeah, it worked. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. See, every time I talk about Kirk Cousins, I have to make sure I don't like just like give an unnecessary jab. I'm not sure if Kirk Cousins just called the sneak because it's easier and like I could just fall forward and I get the touchdown and I don't have to worry about like turning and handing to Thielen and what could go wrong there. Like this is the path of least resistance, just me snapping the ball and falling forward, having my offensive lineman push me in. Regardless of what's going through his head as he's deciding to call QB sneak, the fact that he goes up to the line with with options and is is able to kind of decide, I I think is meaningful. And I think we're going to start to see more of that. Kevin O'Connell had said yesterday when he was asked again about it, like, yes, we're we're five weeks into this new offense. A lot of the things that he's going to have the ability to kind of check into at the line are, are still getting kind of perfected and mastered and situationally mastered at certain points in time. Um, he said, you're going to see more of that you, on, on a week to week basis. Each game is its own entity as Kirk says. But I think what Kevin O'Connell is getting at is that Kirk cousins is going to have the ability to check into certain things even more as, as the season progresses. The fact that we're even having this dialogue with the head coach means that it, it, it is a better relationship between quarterback and head coach than it was under Zimmer. Like Zimmer wouldn't even entertain these questions. And now Kevin O'Connell is talking about, okay, well he doesn't have as much carte blanche as he does now as he will in a few weeks, but he has a lot more now than he did a few weeks ago. I think we're going to start to see even more of that moving forward. I'm curious to see how Kirk Cousins handles it. Yeah. Uh, Right. Does he turn into a robot? Does he just kind of do the same thing over and over and over again? Or is he able to kind of diagnose this or make the right decision, make the right read pre-snap that that gives the Vikings a clear advantage post-snap? Um, I'm interested to see how it's going to play out, but I do know, I can say with a full fact that like he has more, maybe not more because we don't know how much say he had pre-snap and under Zimmer, but he has the ability and the latitude to make changes at the line if he sees fit under Kevin O'Connell. This is one of the really difficult things to diagnose because of that. And because like if he has that optionality and he doesn't exercise it, even down the line here, Kevin O'Connell's not going to say that. Yeah. He's not going to say, well, no. we would have liked to have checked to this or we would have liked to have gone with, with this option on that play. Like that will not be discussed. Uh, but from Kevin O'Connell, we know that. Uh, but it will be interesting. Like maybe it, it will literally have to be anecdotal. It'll have to be people noticing and saying like, oh, it looked like, Maybe like they checked into this or like Kirk has done this on this play three other times. Then he did this the fourth time. Um, 
it has to be brought up through that. And then Kevin O'Connell will go, yes, why, yes, that was a Kirk Cousins option. Um, but I, the idea that it's there is good because it's needed if you want to be a, a high-level offense, especially late in the season in the NFL, as teams really kind of know what you do. Um, and you have to be able to change things up on the fly or give different looks, different options within plays. Like, that has to be a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's encouraging that, it could be, uh, but you, you said we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know if Kirk Cousins' brain will explode when when too many options get entered into the device. Um, who's to say? Uh, but, like, it's cool that there's at least one instance of it. I will say, like, QB sneak or handoff is, you know, something you probably execute in seventh grade. Uh, but, like, there are different <laughs> wrinkles that come in. And maybe we will notice in the next month, wow, this Vikings offense is getting more dynamic. It has a bunch of different looks. Like, they're doing different things within different plays. And then I think we'll have a better idea that, yep, it's all expanding. Kirk Cousins is getting more options because they all know the offense better and they've implemented even more. They've added wrinkles. This group's just getting better and better like it has to. Like, that's best case. Um, Worst case is implosion. Yeah. You're right. Like, it doesn't – we don't know what's going to – like, Kirk is very robotic in how he plays the position. And if there are too many inputs put into certain plays, it it might just – into the go, computer, go haywire. <laughs> um, it might short circuit, powering down. But, but I do think like it doesn't even need to be like okay. Here are three post pre snap options. Kirk, you right. decide. It could just one be or like, two, right? Runner pass, or it could just be like Change protection. This is the play. You see Justin Jefferson hot on the outside. Just check into that. Like that's fine. They're playing off him. Throw throw that. Like how many times do you see Aaron Rodgers do that? Like. With Devontae Adams in the past, it was like, oh, that was a clear run. Yep. He stood up from his from his prone and he decided, yep. okay, D- Devontae Adams one on one, we're going there. Like Looks eight yards. Yep. Like I, I think I hope that that all of this discussion that we're having with Kevin O'Connell at least evolves into that at some point with Kirk Cousins. I can't even remember the last time I've seen him do that, where it's like, oh, that best my best player has one on one coverage. They're playing him six yards off the ball. Uh, I'm just going to throw him the ball. Like, I, I think that's something where if if we can see him even graduate to that, um, again, anecdotally, like you said, we're not going to know, like Kevin O'Connell's not going to go out of his way and be like, Hey, Kirk checked into that play. Cause that's just a little bit. Yeah. Right. Right. Patron, that's, a, that's obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also not going to say, Hey, there was a play there and Kirk did not check into it. So yeah. we are going to have to notice it anecdotally. Um, but I think we will, like, I think we will. And I think, um, this is something that we're discussing now heading into week six um, because it's it feels different. Um, it, it's a lot of like the things we've discussed so far, you know, over the course of the season just feels a little different. Um, we'll see how it plays out um, in, in the end. Um, yeah, I would just say like the biggest thing for me is totally like um, of like changing the protections. If you can do that, great. If not, then what's this all for? Like, that's the biggest thing that will determine games. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's fair too because like we we we've, we've seen in the past that he can't do it at times. Um, let's see that he can do it moving forward. So it, it, it it's something where all of this discussion that we're having right now it, it's going to hinge on Kirk Cousins and his ability to execute. Um, I don't think that just because we're talking about this now and just because Kevin O'Connell's teasing it that in three weeks, if he sees that Kirk Cousins can't handle this, doesn't mean that like, it's just going to continue to the train's just going to keep 
going right no. down the tracks. I think Kevin O'Connell is smart enough to know, like, okay, we got to dial back. Like, he, he, we can't give him this much stuff, uh, you know, pre-snap. And if that happens, that's fine too. But I think, like, that they're testing the waters. They're dipping their toe in and saying, like, this is how you play quarterback well in the league. We're going to need our quarterback to do that. The fact that they're giving him the opportunity to do that in certain situations I think is important. Um, I just keep saying, like, we won't know for for a while here how that ultimately looks, um, but it's a good sign nonetheless. Yeah, for sure. Kevin O'Connell has always had through five weeks here has been a do what you can with what you have uh, coach. Like we've seen that in what they do with schemes, play calling, all that stuff. Like, okay, here's what we have. How can we turn this into the best possible percent chance at a win? If Kirk Cousins fails as they try to implement more and more optionality, they will simplify and say, okay, we think we can score 24 points doing this. Uh, and that's what they'll go with. And and then see how far the season goes from there. And then it, after that, it comes down to, okay, here is our ceiling with this because we tried it, which you have to try it. Um, and now do we make roster decisions to try to raise our ceiling from there? Um, that's kind of that in the first year of any new regime. I don't care if it's a competitive rebuild or what. That's what you're doing. What do we have? What is that equal? Where do we want to go? What changes do we have to make? And like quarterbacks, a big part of it. We've all talked about that eight million times. Um, and so at least giving Kirk Cousins the chance to make these decisions, to try to put himself in the best position to succeed on a play to play basis it's huge. I and mean, it's, it's a massive part of evaluation. And I think Kevin O'Connell's in the process of that. And so is Kirk cousins. All right. Uh, that's all we have for today's episode of inside purple and gold. Jace Frederick, Dame Mizutani here. We will be back Thursday previewing that dolphins game for which we have zero idea who will be Miami's quarterback. Um, and what that will equal for Minnesota's chances of winning that game down South beach. Uh, but maybe we'll know a little bit more by Thursday. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll talk about the different scenarios should any of like the three quarterbacks start um until then like follow subscribe make sure you're getting every episode on your favorite podcast platform thanks so much for listening we will catch you next time goodbye Twenty Four Hundred sports is an odyssey company 